Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about how God wants us to live a fruitful life. God desires for you to be more fruitful in the future than you are right now. And that God is glorified, the Bible says, when we bear much fruit. And so for every child of God, the Spirit of God in you is at work creating in you both the desire and then the power to be more fruitful. So if you desire to be more fruitful, you want God to use you in greater ways, it is because of the work of God that is going on inside of you. So do you believe that God wants you to be more fruitful in the future than you have been in the past and that you are right now? The Bible says that that's true. And so we've been talking about over the last several weeks How does that happen? Now, one thing that I am certain of that is true of every believer that is here and that is watching today, I'm aware that there is going on inside of you a battle. There's a part of you that wants to serve God. You want God to use you. You want to be more fruitful. You want to be pleasing to him. You want your life to make a difference. But there's also part of you that wants to do what you want to do. Part of you that is attracted to sinful things. You're embarrassed about it. You're ashamed of it. You feel guilty about it. You've tried to overcome it. You've tried to over and over again, try to recommit your life to God. You've tried your best to to do better. But what you found is that this war, this battle, this conflict going on in you keeps you from doing what you want to do for God. Every one of us who are children of God have that battle and that conflict. Unfortunately for most Christians, they've tried to live for God. They've tried to overcome this old part of them that loves sin. They feel guilty about it. They They ask God to forgive them. They rededicate their life to God. They try harder only to fall again. And this goes on for so long that oftentimes believers come to the point they just no longer believe they can really have victory. They just resign themselves to the fact, I guess this is the way it is, and I just don't really expect that it's ever going to be any better. I guess there's just something wrong with me and that I just... Maybe God doesn't want to help me, and we just no longer believe. What I want to talk to you about today is the fact that victory really is possible. In fact, this living a consistent, victorious, fruitful life is really already within your grasp. Everything you need to be able to do that, you already have. You just need to learn how to apply these truths we're going to talk about today. And if you begin to apply them before you leave this service today, you will be on the path for it to be forever different. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Would you ask the Lord to speak to you? Would you say, Lord, open my understanding that I can grasp 
today how to be empowered to live a victorious, fruitful life. Father, you know that you desire that for every one of your children. So I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened today, that we might know the hope of our calling and that we might know the incredibly great power that is at work in us. Would you help us to know that power today and understand how to rely upon you see that power begin to supernaturally work through us. Thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the scripture says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want, so that you can't do what that new nature in you wants you to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh, when you listen to your old nature, it's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and on and on. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live, that means who practice on a continuous basis, those who practice this kind of lifestyle continually will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if you put verse 16 back up there, it says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. This passage teaches us that there is a part of us that wants to do sinful things. It is, some of the examples of those kinds of sinful things were listed there in the passage we read. And the Bible says that we have a part of us that is drawn to that kind of stuff. We're embarrassed about it as children of God, we, we know better, we don't want to be that way, but there's something in us that's attracted to that, 
and we're ashamed of it and we don't want to do that, but there's something about us that's just attracted to that and wants to do some of those kinds of things. But there's also part of us that it is the Spirit of God in us who gives us the desire to do what God wants us to do. So we have, as children of God, two sets of desires. One set of desires wants to please God. One set of desires wants to please my old flesh. And these are in conflict with each other. And they battle so that you do not do what you want. You don't do this, what the Spirit of God wants you to do. Now, for many years, I made the mistake of thinking that because there was such a battle going on in me, I mean, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do, and then there's parts of my life I can't believe I'm attracted to that. I can't believe that that tempts me. I can't believe that I'm like that. And so for, for after battling that for so long and trying to do better and not being able to do better, then I came to the conclusion, maybe I'm not saved. I mean, how could a person who's saved do this kind of stuff and feel this and have such a a battle? I was convinced that if I was truly saved, I wouldn't be having this battle. And so I would say, Lord, if I'm not saved, save me now. But the battle would continue. And so what I want you to see today is that the battle, if, if you're a child of, or if you're a person here today who says, that describes my life, there is this battle that goes on in me, rather than that showing that you're not saved, that's actually an indication that you are saved, that you are a child of God. If it were not for the Spirit of God in you, there wouldn't be much of a battle. You'd just do what you wanted to do. You just live your life like you want to live. You just sin and more sin and more sin. That's how the world lives. But when the Spirit of God comes to live within you, when you become a child of God, suddenly the Spirit of God begins to say, nope, you don't want to do that anymore. You need to do this. And now you're torn. And the battle going on in you is an indication of the fact the Spirit of God is in you. Now, I tried for years in my own strength, in my own power, to try to overcome this old nature of mine. And I would try to recommit my life to God. And I would think, well, if I just prayed more, I could overcome it. If I just read my Bible more, I could overcome it. If I just attended church more, I could overcome it. I had all these things I tried to do. I kept thinking that that if I just was more committed, then I could overcome that old nature. But the truth of the matter is, I couldn't and neither can you. And so I began to hear about, I talked about it last week, I began to hear about and began to learn that the Bible teaches that we are to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit living in you that can give you the power to overcome this old sin nature. And so, I asked, I yielded myself to God. I asked him to fill me with his spirit, and he did. And I mean, I began to see and experience this supernatural life. And I lived victoriously over this old nature for about two weeks. 
And then it went back to that old thing again. And I was puzzled. I was, I was surprised because I had the wrong expectation. I had thought that this would be a once and for all decision. That if I really yielded myself to him and I asked him to fill me with his spirit, I thought my expectation was that the spirit of God would fill me, would take over my life and would somehow take away those old, those old desires. I thought they would go away, but I found they didn't go away. And I was confused and I was, I believed a lie. I believed that maybe God didn't really want me to live victoriously. Maybe it was, maybe that was reserved for, you know, special Christians. Maybe it was reserved for people who had a special calling or did really important things in life, but not for me. But this passage we read today says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. A walk is one step followed by another step by another step. It's a process, right? So living the victorious Christian life is not an event or an experience that happens to you and then suddenly you have no more battle. It is a moment by moment, day by day decision to follow the Lord and to rely upon his power to enable you to overcome this old sin nature. We're told in this passage that we read that the spirit of God living in you that makes you desire the things of God, but the old nature in you have, causes you to desire the, the sins of the flesh. And these are in conflict with each other. So I want you to get the understanding and right expectation today. The victorious Christian life is not a conflict-free life. It is not a life where you no longer experience temptation. It's not a life where the old nature goes away. There is no experience that you can have, no second blessing, no baptism of the spirit, no spiritual gift that you would receive or exercise that is ever gonna take away that old set of desires that wants to please the flesh. It's gonna be with you until you see the Lord. Now, when you die, you'll lay this old body down, this old body where that is, the Bible says one day we'll get a new body. One of these days when we're with the Lord, we're not gonna keep fighting that battle. One of these days, the glory of God is gonna be revealed to you and through you. Right now, we still fall short of the glory of God, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that won't always be the case. There's coming a day, actually, really soon, when the glory of God will be revealed to you and in you and through you. And we won't have this battle anymore. So for all eternity, you're not gonna have this battle. For all eternity, you're just gonna wanna do what God wants you to do and it's gonna be glorious, but not now. In this life, until the day you meet the Lord, whether through death or through the rapture, until that happens, this battle is going to be there. And you do not overcome this, this conflict in your own strength. You can't do it. 
you're no more able to save yourself from the power of sin at work in your life than you were to save yourself from the penalty of sin. You needed Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself. You needed to be saved, right? You needed to be rescued. You couldn't rescue yourself. You needed Jesus to intervene, to supernaturally rescue you from your sin. That's the same thing that's true of living the Christian life. You don't have the power to live it. You can't do it for God. You need to be rescued. You need Jesus to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. You need him to miraculously intervene in your life. And that's exactly what he has done. When he put the Spirit of God in you, he gave you the one who can and will enable you to overcome this old sin nature. So there is a conflict. Now, if you don't mind, put verse 16 back up there. I want you to see something that I made a mistake for years. It says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. For years, I accidentally reversed what that verse says. I thought the verse says, Glenn, if you will stop fulfilling the desires of the flesh, then you can walk with the Spirit. So I would think if I could just be more holy, then God would want me. Then God the Holy Spirit would fill me. If I could just pray more, if I could just be more godly, if I could just live for God more, then he would see I was sincere, that I really meant business, and then he would take me and he would fill me. So I reversed it. I thought if I could stop gratifying the desires of the flesh, then I could walk in the spirit. But that is not what it says. But boy, that is so subtle, but it is so important because you and I don't have the power to overcome our flesh. The spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life is not a reward for you living holy. It is not something that God does for you because you deserve it. It is something that God does for you because you trust him to do it. You rely upon him to do it. You yield yourself to him and you trust him and you depend upon him and you rely upon him. I mean, think about this. When you gave your life to Jesus to begin with, did he save you because you deserved it? Could you do anything to earn it? No. Why did Jesus save you? Because you recognized that you needed him to save you and you cried out to him and you depended upon him and when you put your faith and your trust in him, you began to rely upon him he miraculously did for you what you cannot do for yourself. He saved you from the penalty of your sins, made you a child of God. Walking by the Spirit is the exact same thing. I cannot do it. I cannot deserve it. I, do not, I cannot do anything to, to, to merit it. It is something that I need him to do for me. So I recognize I cannot do it. I cry out to him and depend upon him to do it. The difference is I got to do this every day. 
I got to do this every moment of every day. When I gave my life to Jesus to begin with, that was a once and for all decision. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But to walk in the spirit, it's something you do every day. It is something you do multiple times, perhaps throughout the day. It is a consistent step-by-step walk by means of the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. They're all the same thing. So what does it mean? How, Practically speaking, how do you walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit throughout the day? How do you do that? Well, to me, it, it, it... It helps me to see that this is not some really mystical, uh, difficult thing that somehow I just can't get a grasp of. I want you to think of it in these terms. Imagine that when Jesus was walking this earth in his earthly ministry, he calls his disciples, his apostles, and he says to them, follow me, walk with me, walk with me. For them to do that, they had to lay down their own agendas for their life. They had to give him their plans. They had to lay aside their dreams, their goals, what they wanted for their own life. And they said, from now on, I will do what Jesus wants me to do. I will follow him. I will do what he tells me to do. And so they, they made that decision and they began to follow him. And so I just imagine that as they were would follow Jesus, that they would go to bed at night and they would sleep out perhaps outside many times on a campfire or whatever. And then the next morning they would wake up and I just imagine they sort of rubbed the sleep out of their eyes and then they looked around and said, where's Jesus? Wherever he is, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going to be today. I'm just going to hang out with him. I'm going to be around him. I'm just going to be with him. I'm just going to walk with him today. And then whatever he tells me to do, I'll do it. But here's the thing. Everything Jesus told them to do, he supernaturally empowered them to do. He was always telling them to do something they couldn't do. But as long as they walked with him, hung out with him, and just did what he told them to do, He supernaturally empowered them to do what he commanded them to do. So, for example, when during the middle of the night, the disciples are out in the boat in a storm, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. They see him. They think he's a ghost. They're terrified. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. Peter looks at him, Matthew 14, And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus gave him a command, come. That was the will of Jesus. Come, Peter, I want you to be with me. Walk over here to me. Come to me. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus looked at Peter in that boat and said, come, Do you think Jesus thought Peter had the ability to do that? Jesus knew that Peter couldn't do what he was commanding him to do. 
Jesus didn't look at Peter and think to himself, well, you know what? If Peter just tries hard enough, he'll be able to walk on the water. If he's sincere enough, he'll be able to walk on the water. If he's committed enough, he'll be able to walk on the water. This had nothing to, Peter can't do it. There's nothing he can do to deserve it, nothing he can do to be able to do it. This has to do with, if this is gonna happen, it is gonna be Jesus intervening supernaturally enabling Peter to do something that he cannot do. But when he looked at Peter and he says, come, Peter stepped out. No, do you think Peter thought he could walk on water? Do you think Peter sat back and went, boy, if I just be so committed, if I could just rededicate myself right now, then I can walk on water? If I could just be more holy, I could walk on water? Peter knew he couldn't walk on water. It's impossible. So when he stepped out, because he knew it was the will of Jesus for him to do it, so he stepped out trusting that Jesus would enable him to do what he couldn't do. And as long as he was relying upon Jesus to do it, Jesus supernaturally enabled him to do what he couldn't do. And Peter lived victoriously over that water until he quit trusting, until he quit trusting Jesus to empower him to do it. And the moment he stopped trusting, you know the story, down he goes. That is a picture of the Christian life. Jesus looks at you and says, come, follow me. You're no more able to do that than Peter can walk on water. Jesus knows you can't do that. He knows you can't do. You can't overcome this old sin nature on your own. He knows that. It is not a matter of can you deserve it? Can you try harder? Can you be more dedicated? Now, do you know that? I mean, Peter, I don't think, was had any illusions that he could somehow walk on water. But you and I think if we try harder, we can live the Christian life. So step number one is recognizing I can't do it. I can't rely on my own holiness, my own desires, my own power, my own commitment. I gotta rely upon him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. He wants me to come to him. I can't do it, but I'm going to trust that he's going to empower me to do what he calls me and tells me to do. So the disciples walked with Jesus. <clears throat> they got up and just said, where's Jesus? I mean, practically speaking, <clears throat> they got up every day. They look around, where is he? And just wherever he is, I'm going to follow him. And then when he told them to do something, they trusted him, but he supernaturally enabled them to do it. And so now they've left everything. They've, they've centered their lives around him. They're living this way. Where's Jesus? Just follow Jesus, trust Jesus, he'll empower me to do it. And then one day he says to them, I'm going away. I'm not gonna be with you any longer. I'm going back to my father. And they are dumbfounded, they are confused, they are disappointed, they are, 
They're scared. They're, they feel hopeless. Now what am I going to do? How am I going to follow him now? I can't see him. He's not going to be here. Now what am I going to do? And Jesus said to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. <clears throat> I'm going to come back to you. But it's going to be the Spirit of God who now who's with you, he shall be in you. So Jesus was saying to them, you've been following me physically. You've been following me around. I'm going away. But now I'm going to come back to you. But now I'm not going to be just with you physically. Now I'm going to be in you. Child of God, Jesus Christ really is with you. He really is in you. The same Jesus who walked on this planet, who empowered Peter to walk on water, that same Jesus really is in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to them, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he's going to start doing for you what I have been doing. He's going to teach you. I've been teaching you, now he's going to teach you. I've been revealing to you what the Father was like. Now when he comes, he's going to reveal to you what I'm like. He's going to take what I've been wanting to say to you, and he's going to say it to you. So he's, it's me. He's exactly like me. You look at me, you see the Father. You look at him, you're going to see me. We're exactly alike. It's us. So now I'm going to be in you. Brothers and sisters, that is so incredibly profound. If Jesus Christ walked physically in this room today and said, follow me, I mean literally, follow me right now and turn to walk out, hopefully everybody here would just stand up and start out. And we're all out there trying to follow Jesus. We're bumping into each other and run, you know, trying to get through the doors. And then he goes and gets in one of the cars and takes off. And we can't all fit in that same car. And then he goes home with somebody for the afternoon and we can't all get there. And suddenly, how am I going to follow him? We can't all be around him physically. So he said to them, it is better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, if I don't go away, the spirit of God won't come. But if I go away, I'll send him to you and he will then be in you. It's going to be me and you'll see me. For a little while, you're not going to see me, and then you're going to see me. I'm going to be in you. And brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ today is in this room, and he's saying to you, follow me. But when you get up to walk out of here today, he's with you. And when you go get in your car, he's with you. And when you go through the day, he's with you. And he's there to be for you exactly what he was for the disciples when they were walking with him. So how do you walk literally, practically with the Spirit? How do you do that? You get up every morning, you wipe the sleep out of your eyes, and you say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? I mean, you, you focus early in the day. You start your day by attuning yourself to Him. Now, a great way to do that is what you might call a devotional time or a quiet time or time alone with God in the morning. Now, you and I could get all hung up on this, well, what am I supposed to do during the devotional time? And, you know, how long is it supposed to be? That's not really even the question. The question is, well, what's the purpose of it? 
What am I trying to accomplish by starting my day with a, a quiet time, a, a time of devotion, a, some alone time with God? The purpose of the quiet time is for you to wipe the sleep out of your eyes and go, where's Jesus? And to get in tune with him, to get on and to start thinking about him. I'm going to walk with you today. You see, it's not a matter of, okay, I get up and have time with God, and then I go into the day and say, Lord, I'll check back with you when I get home. The Christian life is walking with him day by day, step by step. So all through the day, he's going to be with me, and he's going to be talking to me and leading me and guiding me. So to walk with the Spirit, I need to recognize I can't do this. I need him. I yield myself to him. So I start the day by saying, Lord, not my will, your will. I today want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow you. I want to, get, I want to be focused on listening to you and attuned to you. And I spend some time in his word and I pray some. But it's, the purpose of it is to get in tune to him so I can listen to him throughout the day. Now, this is incredibly important that you start the day off tuning in. If not, you'll be just like me. When you don't do that, you'll get halfway through your day and you'll go, oh, you know, I hadn't, hadn't spent time with the Lord today. And, and you may have gotten so caught up with all the distractions and pressures and everything of the day. This, uh, this last week, Carol and I, my wife and I, were, uh, we had our grandsons at the house, and so it was late in the afternoon, and so we went out walking in the neighborhood. My grand, oldest grandson's 10, youngest is 5. So we're out uh, walking around, and we've got a couple little small lakes or ponds that are out in the, in the neighborhood, and there are a whole lot of ducks that like to just stay out there. So we're walking out there. It's toward the end of the day. The sun's getting lower and lower and beginning to get lower. And, um, and so these ducks are ju- you know, jumping up and they're flying off. And, um, and when those ducks would fly off or fly over us, you can hear their wings. You could hear them. You know, they, they flap their wings and you can, you can hear it's almost like it almost makes a whistling sound. I used to, I grew up on the farm. We'd go duck hunting and We'd be out duck hunting, and we, and the the place where we would duck hunt would be so wooded and and dense that oftentimes you would hear the ducks before you would see them. You could hear that. So I'm walking with my grandson this last week, and all of a sudden, as it's getting a little bit darker, I'd, I'd hear this duck. I'd say, "You hear that?" And he, oh, he'd hear it, and then we'd see one come in and land. And so as we're walking along, I'm listening for it. And I would go, you hear that? And he'd go, oh, I, I, I hadn't heard that. And then he would get tuned in. And then a few minutes later, I'd say, oh, do you hear that? You hear that? And he says, Papa, you just hear nature better than I do. The truth of the matter is, I don't have better hearing than him. My hearing is not nearly what it used to be. And I can't hear as good as he do, but I was focused on it. I was listening for it. His hearing was better, but he wasn't paying attention to it. The Spirit of God all through the day 
wants to impress things upon you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead your life. But you have to focus on him. And you start your day by focusing on him, getting tuned into him, yielding to him. Lord, not my will, your will today. I want your will to be done. And then once you've yielded to him, you're focused on him, then you begin to trust him. I'm going to rely upon you today to help me do what I cannot do. I cannot overcome my old flesh today. I cannot do what you're going to tell me to do today. You know that. I know that. So I'm going to trust you to help me do it. I'm going to trust you to empower me. And the moment you trust him, you yield to him and trust him, at that very moment, you are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether you feel it or not, your feelings have nothing to do with it. It has to do with that's what he came for. He's in you. He wants to lead you. Are you willing to follow? And if you will follow him, he will empower you to do what you cannot do. Now, the Christian life is therefore doing this moment by moment. Now, none of us do this perfectly. So what happens is that when you yield yourself to him and you trust him, you are empowered by the Spirit. But the battle doesn't go away, okay? The old sin nature is still there. The conflict is still there. And so occasionally, you and I will give in to that temptation and we will sin. The moment you do that, he is no longer in control of your life. You've taken control of your own life back, doing what you want to do. And no longer, you're like Peter who's walking on the water. Suddenly, he gets distracted from Jesus by the waves and by the, by the wind. He stops trusting Jesus. He goes down. You and I are trusting the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, I get distracted by sin, temptation. I stop trusting him. I start doing this, and the moment you do that, down you go. Now, the Bible says, what are you supposed to do when that happens? <clears throat> it's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're weird. It doesn't mean that you're defective any more than any other believer. It happens. It's going to happen in this life. When a toddler is learning to walk, they fall a lot, right? Now, Hopefully, they will start learning how to walk and put more steps together before they fall again. And as they mature and they get better at it, they will be able to walk for longer periods of time before they fall. But when they fall, and we all do, you have to get back up. So when you sin and you fall, how do you get back up? Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, a passage that you are very familiar with, says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. The word confess means to agree with God. So you see, I've been walking in agreement with the Holy Spirit. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do is what I want to do. I'm in agreement with that. And then all of a sudden, I do something that is not in agreement with him. 
That's called sin. The moment I do that, down I go. But when I instantly become aware of it, I'm convicted about it, then the way to get back right is to come back into an agreement. I called that by name and I said, Lord, that bad attitude that I had, that that was not what you want me to do. I agree with you about that and I want to bring that back under your authority. The moment you do that, that you confess, you come back into an agreement, the Bible says the moment you do that, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us, wash us as though it didn't happen. Now, for many years, I have struggled with this because I'm trying to walk with God. I want to walk with God. And then all of a sudden I do something and then I feel really guilty about it. I feel really ashamed of it. I feel really bad about it. And now I get ready and I say, oh God, please forgive me. Oh God, please forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me. But I didn't feel forgiven. I didn't feel like he had forgiven me. And because I didn't feel like it, I didn't believe he had done it. But I want you to see this passage says, if you come into an agreement with him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive and cleanse. See, we have the, many of us have this preconceived idea that whenever I as a believer sin and I go to God and say, oh, please forgive me, we have this mental picture perhaps that God is sitting up in heaven trying to decide whether I'm gonna forgive you this time or not. That maybe God is saying, you know, Glenn, that's about the 10,000th time you've done that. Maybe I'm not going to forgive you so easy this time. You, uh, you need to prove to me that you mean business. Then we'll, then we'll talk about it. And we're almost under the impression that, that God's trying to decide every time you sin whether or not he's going to be merciful this time or not. That is not true. Before the foundations of the world, God already decided to be merciful to you completely. And when he sent his son Jesus into the world and Jesus was hanging upon the cross, God knew every sin you would ever commit in your life from the time you were a child to the time you die. All of them were future 2,000 years ago. And God looked at every sin you would ever commit in your entire life he put them on Jesus, and God decided up front that he was going to offer you mercy for them all, all of them. And Jesus died. He suffered. He was tortured to pay justly for your sin, all of them, even the ones you have yet to commit. And when you gave your life to Jesus, God forgave you. God decided mercy and grace every time for you. And now when you and I come to him and say, I want to get back in agreement with you, he's just to forgive you. His forgiveness is based on his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, because your sins were already paid for. So this is not arbitrarily where God will forgive you if he feels like it. 
God has already decided to extend mercy to you. He's just in doing that because Jesus has already paid for it. And if, in fact, God did not forgive you, he would be unjust because your sins have already been paid for. So now I'm walking with God. I go out of agreement because I I turn to something that I shouldn't turn to. The moment I recognize it, I come back to him again. I yield myself to him. I say, I want to bring that back into an agreement with you. And the moment I do that, he is faithful and he's just. He forgives me. He cleanses me as I yield myself to him. And I said, I'm going to trust you now to empower me to live for you. That instantly I'm right back walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the Christian life. A step followed by another step. The battle never goes away. I'm never going to in this life stop falling. But hopefully... I will fall less and less and less. The Christian life, being a Christian, isn't about being sinless, but it ought to be about sinning less, right? And so we ought to be making progress and learning how to walk with him. So it starts with yielding yourself to him. You can't follow him and be your own master and boss, but if you will follow him, He will supernaturally empower you to do it. That is true for everybody here, everybody watching, and he's waiting for you to yield yourself completely and trust him to do what you can't do for yourself. And the next step you take will be in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your heads. Will you... Hear the Holy Spirit saying to you today, follow me. Just as Jesus said to his apostles 2,000 years ago, follow me. Will you follow me? Follow me today. Yield yourself to him and say yes. And then trust that he will empower you today to do what you cannot do. Maybe you're here, you're watching right now. And maybe as I was describing this battle that goes on, maybe you're sitting there going, well, really, I don't feel that. It may be that you don't have much desire to try to please God with your life. If that's true, then it's because you don't have a relationship with God. The Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And our sins, our disobedience separates us from God. And and there's really nothing we can do to remove this barrier between us and God. But God himself so loves you that God sent his own son Jesus. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, God took your sins, all of them, even ones you've not yet committed, and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus, and Jesus there gave his life as a payment 
for your sin. And it is only that payment Jesus made that can remove the barrier between you and God. Jesus one time said, this is eternal life that you might know God and his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is a relationship with the eternal God, the life-giving God. When you get connected to him, you will live forever with him. And the Bible says this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, a relationship with him. But this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. But he who has not the son has not life, has not a relationship with God. So if you've never humbled yourself, committed yourself to Jesus Christ and asked him to save you and make you a child of God, then you don't have a relationship with God, but you could establish one right this minute. It could happen for you. Jesus loves you. He's waiting right now. He's drawing you. He's calling you to himself. Will you humble yourself and cry out to him right now? And if you do that, the Bible says everyone who will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call right now, sincerely, he'll give you a relationship with God right now, instantaneously. It's a free gift. It's yours. Will you take him? You can just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you a lot. And there's nothing I can do to remove my sin. But I believe Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. And I believe that in him is eternal life. Lord Jesus, you are my only hope. I need you. Come into my life right now. Forgive me of my sin. Remove that barrier between me and God and make me your child. And give me eternal life. And from this day forward, I will follow you. If you prayed that prayer you, or something like it and you meant it, then I'm going to welcome you to the family of God. Because Jesus said, if you call, you will be saved. So if you did, Jesus Christ just changed your life. And what has happened to you is a miracle and you've just begun a brand new life, and there's so much God wants you to know that he's just done for you. And so the way you learn about that is through a church. That's what a church is for. And so if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you take the gray card, then seat back in front of you, just fill it out, check the box that says, today I prayed to ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me, forgive me of my sins, and just drop that card in the offering box as you go out, We'll contact you this week, try to set up a time at your convenience to sit and just say, now what do I do? What, what's happened to me? It'd be a wonderful time together that we want to be a blessing to you. I hope that you'll do that. Maybe you'd like to join the church. 
take the gray card, check the box that says, I want to pursue membership of the church, drop it to the box, and we will contact you this week, explain the simple process that we have. If you're our guest today, thank you so much for coming. I hope that you were blessed today. I hope you'll let us know, and you can do that by taking the blue card in the seat back in front of you. Just fill that out, take you 10 seconds, drop it to the box. Promise you we won't pester you this week. We just want to connect with you and say thank you for coming. So thank you for being here today. As you make your way out today, don't forget to give your offerings unto the Lord. So God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let's stand together. You're an amazing God. And it's an amazing, extraordinary fact that the same Spirit of God that came upon Jesus at his baptism, that came upon the believers on the day of Pentecost, that same Spirit is in every one of us here today who know you. And I pray that we might rely upon you, Spirit of God, and that this week, this day, will be different. As we tune in and listen for your voice, and as we trust you to empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for the relationship we have with you. Thank you for the glorious future that we know one day this battle will be over. But until then, help us to walk in victory in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming.